Uh, magandang umaga. It's good to see you all. Uh, I know we've got a lot of family missing right now because everybody's going out to see family. It's always strange when a Sunday falls in between when Christmas is going to be coming. But uh, it's good to be here with you. Yeah, Danny and I and, and my wife and Grace were in Canada just recently. And uh, it was uh, quite cold. It was, 20, it was minus 27. And when the wind chill came, it was minus 47. So that was really cold. So, so let me tell you something I learned real quick, then I'll go to the message. At, at that temperature, if you boil water, okay, they call it making your own snow. It's got to be boiling water. I guess there's a chemical reaction. You take a cup of boiling water and you throw it up in the air, it comes down as snow. It immediately crystallizes and comes down. That's how cold it is. In fact, Danny and I several times were caught talking to snowmen because we thought they were people. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I don't know how people, I, I especially don't know how Filipinos live in Saskatoon and, and uh, Prince Albert area because you guys' bodies are used to the heat and man, it is cold over there. So anyway, I want to talk to you today about something in a, in a different way, I hope, something that's uh, a little different than what you're used to. And I want to do that deliberately. I want to make sure I don't put my water on Pastor Ensong's uh, computer. Let me show you something here. This is a map, okay? It's a map of uh, Texas area. And if you look at the B, that's Dallas. And if you look at the A, it's Houston, okay? Now, what I want to talk to you about is this word right here, routine. Routine's a good thing, okay? Wouldn't you all agree? There's certain things that are very good for you if you, have a, if you have a routine every morning of getting up and being with the Lord. Is that a good routine? Deba? Yeah, that's a good routine. Um, it, builds, it shows you have discipline. But here's the thing about routine. It can allow you to become stagnant because you just get used to going through the motions. You do the same thing all the time and you just get used to doing it. And I had a great story based on this map, true story. There was a pastor who lived in Dallas, okay? And once a year, he went to a conference. Every year at the same time, he went to a conference in Houston. Now, Houston is a four-hour drive from Dallas. It's a one-hour flight. And this pastor would just based on his finances that year, whatever, what he felt like doing, he felt like having a long drive. He would sometimes fly, he'd sometimes drive. So this one year, he went to the conference. And he got done on the last day at Houston, got himself a taxi to the airport, flew to Dallas. He's waiting for his wife, he's waiting for his wife, he's waiting for his wife. You go, where is she? Finally, he picks up a phone and he calls her. She answers the phone, okay? And he says, honey, where are you? She said, what do you mean? He says, I'm here at Dallas Airport waiting for you to pick me up. She said, honey, you drove to Houston. <laughs> so he was in such a routine. This is what I'm talking about. He was so numb to what he regularly does that when he got done with the conference, he forgot <laughs> that he'd driven the car from Dallas to Houston, got on an airplane, <laughs> and flew back to Dallas. Yeah, now he's got to get an airplane and fly back to Houston <laughs> to get his car to come home. So, I, I, I want us to break our routine about how we consider having intimacy with God. You all are in a series about pleasing God. And of course, one of the greatest things that pleases God is that when we're intimate with Him. That's what He built us for. But I want to look at it from a different point of view. I want to look at it this way, and it's something that maybe you've never considered. Intimacy with God through hate. What? Yeah, through hate. See, usually when we think of intimacy with God, what do we think of? Hmm? Okay, positive. What are they? Spend time in the Word, right? Spend time in prayer, right. Spend time in fellowship and worship, right. And those are all right. That's absolutely right. If you want to get close to God, that's a way to do it, is go after the positive things, okay? 
memorizing Scripture, meditation on Scripture. The Word of God is so great to build intimacy with you and Him. Um, learning to share Christ with others. You want to talk about learning to be intimate. There's nothing greater than to watch God work in the heart of a person and change them completely right in front of your eyes. You know, they thought, I, I remember I led a 67-year-old man to Christ, no, 76-year-old man to Christ who had molested his daughter, okay? And of course, he was convinced he was going to hell because what he did was a heinous sin. And it was amazing as the grace of God I shared with him in the hospital that he could be forgiven. And he said, but my daughter will never, I said, that's not your problem. That's between her and God. And you've got to give God a chance. But first you need to get yourself right with God. He accepted Christ. And this is the great part. I came back to Hawaii the next year. I was raising support. This is back in 93. I was raising support to go to the Philippines. And I got to, the, got to Hawaii and one of the friends of mine in the church we had before that I had pastored, he called me, he said, this guy wants to see you. He has a surprise for you. And I came up to the community, it was called Makakilo, and there he came out, and there was his daughter with him. And she was now living with him. She'd completely forgiven him. And they were, it was just a beautiful scene. And I'm going, there's no one that can do that except God. He's the only one who can do that. So all of that is really important, okay? So I, I don't want to try and take away from the positive approaches to God on intimacy. But I thought just to break our routine, how else can I be close to God? Well, first, let's think of the word intimacy. It means closeness, okay? That's a basic understanding of intimacy. But it's based on some commonality, right? When you're intimate with someone, there's something that you have in common with them, okay? But here's the thing you need to understand. It does not have to be good, does it? Can hate unite? Hmm? You know, sometimes I think I'm preaching to a DVD, okay? You can, you can, when I ask a question, you can respond. It's okay. You're not, you're not out of place, okay? Can hate unite? Yeah, oh, you bet it can, okay? So before I look at the first scriptures to just make a point, let's commit the time to the author. Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to be together. I just pray that you'll keep my mind clear, that you'll allow me not to override the word of God. My points are my points, but your word is your word, and that's what we need to listen to. Help us today, Lord, to find some practical approach to learning how to even come towards you in an intimate way from the negative side of life. Learning how to allow our holy in, uh, intolerance towards those things that you also hate. Let us learn how they can unite us with you. Again, I commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at two examples. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians. Let me tell you something. There were three ruling groups, really only two, though, the Jews felt. There were the Pharisees and there were the what? Sadducees. Why do we call them Sadducees? Yeah, right? You remember that, right? Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Okay? That's how you memorize that. Yeah. Pharisees believed in the resurrection, Sadducees do not, but they were pretty committed to the Torah. One was more conservative and one was more liberal. Herodians, on the other hand, were not a religious party, they were a political party. They, they disguised themselves as part of religion, but all they were there to do was to bid for Herod and get his policies through. The Pharisees, the Sadducees hardly liked the Herodians at all. But the Pharisees hated the Herodians. Hated them. They considered them traitors. They wanted nothing to do with them. Notice what this says. The Pharisees went out and immediately get, began conspiring with the Herodians against who? Jesus. As how they might destroy him. Wow. Two groups that hated each other. Luke 23, 12, now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. See how it works? 
Pilate and Herod were united not just by hate. I'm sure it was also fear. They were both terrified of Jesus Christ. But it unified them. They hated this fear. They needed this person of fear to be out of their life. And here's two men who did not get along at all, did not like each other at all. They had been enemies, the scripture says, and now they're working as friends. Hate unites. Okay? But is hate always wrong? Hmm? Hindi, right? No. Psalm 5.4, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells within you. God takes no pleasure. What does that mean? He hates it. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Now, what does it mean to hate? Hate means to detest something. What? I don't like it and I don't want it near me. That's what it means. Okay? So, so if you love me but I hate you, how close are we going to be? Not going to happen, right? Why? Because I'm holding you off. I don't want you in my life. That's what hate means. Okay? So here's my point. Yes, the love of God's word will make you intimate with him. Why? Because God loves his word. The love of God's people will make you close to him. Why? Because God loves his people. So let's take the opposite view. If you have this in common with God that you hate what he hates, see? See, God doesn't hate in a sinful way. God is perfect. But God does hate. It says it. So what do we think of when we think of hatred? See, that's where I want to go today. I want to get real practical too, okay? We're going to be careful here not to go with some broad answer that doesn't really help us specifically. Let's look at some of these verses though. Psalm 119, 104. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Okay? What's one of the things that bothers most of us about our government, American or Filipino? Corruption. Yeah, isn't it? It just makes you want to pull, well, I already pulled all my hair. <laughs> Drives you crazy, doesn't it? You see these guys in power? And they manipulate it. They act like it hurts nobody. Meanwhile, their mansions are getting bigger while kids are starving. People are losing their homes while some guy makes how much more money? See? That's, that's a false way. I hate, do you hate them? No. You don't go get a gun and shoot them. That's not what God would do. But you can hate what they do. Which means, by the way, look in the mirror. Because before we start pointing everybody else's false way, <laughs> God usually wants to deal with us, doesn't he? Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem right all your pre precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Look what it says. Hate evil, you who love the Lord who preserves the souls of his godly ones, he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? Yeah, see how scripture works? See, I, I have people say, okay, Nate, it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That means you want to do good. That means you want to do right. And by the way, this goes to little things. I just did it the other day. You know, when I was, uh, you know, I was brought up in this country, and one of the things that you're drilled in, there's two things you're drilled in as kids, okay? And that's always take care of your fire because of Smokey the Bear, okay? So you put your fires out. But there was another campaign just as strong starting in the 60s. Don't be a litter bug. Litter bug. And I took that so seriously that, you know, sometimes I'll pull out a piece of candy 
and the wrapper will fall off as I'm unwrapping the throat lozenge, I'll chase it down the street because I feel guilty <laughs> about being a litter bug because where I came from, it was very wrong. Okay. In fact, that was some of the cultural adaptation I had to go through because when I would be behind jeepneys on Ortigas and I'd just see all this trash pouring out, <laughs> I just wanted to pull the thing over. Get out! Get out! Go get the trash! <laughs> but God didn't send me there to be the litter police, okay? But you get my point? See, what I'm saying is, see, we're the ones that decide, and we're going to talk about this, big and small. But when God says that he hates evil... Whatever you see that is evil, folks, and I'm not talking about something subjective, although there is some of that, okay? Most things that God considers evil are objective. He states it. But there are other things that he's left up to your choice in your liberty. Okay, for instance, I was talking to a guy the other night. He thinks any drinking at all is evil. Now, as long as he doesn't go around and tell everybody else that they can't, I have no problem with that. If you think it's wrong and you don't want to do it, don't do it. But see, drunkenness is evil. Why? Because the Bible says it. Drunkenness is a sin. But it doesn't say drinking is. The problem is most people cannot contain their liquor. So they try and drink a little and they end up drinking a lot. Same thing with movies. You know, so I know some parents that think Harry Potter movies are from Satan. And if you feel that way, don't watch Harry Potter. But you don't have to go beat up someone else's kid. You watch that, you evil little... Why? <laughs> That's called liberty, okay? See, whereas pornography, guys, there's no brain, okay? It's por pornania is called sin in the Bible. So there's no doubt about it, okay? So when we start talking about this fear of the Lord is hatred, I want you to think in the terms of what has God led you to objectively, which is not arguable, it's what everybody agrees on. The scripture says is sin. But even in your own little private life of liberties, things that may be okay for one person, but they're really not okay for you, should you be doing them? Should you be loving them? Should you be befriending them? Now, I want to say one thing before I, I go on this. I, my best friend's divorced. He's the chairman of my board. I want to challenge you, if you meet Christians that are divorced, you don't judge them, it's none of your business, but if they're honest, if they're honest believers, they will be the first one to tell you, God never intended me to get married and get divorced. But it happens. It happens. But here's what I do want to say. Back in the 40s and 50s, the church was still under the wrong thought about divorce, which is, if you've been divorced, you're a leper. And we don't want you at the church. And that's wrong. Right around the very beginning of the 60s, the church finally seemed to get a little of a bit of a balance that divorce happens. God does open the door for one reason for divorce. I'll talk about that in a second. But we should still hate it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a Christian and I got divorced, I would hate it. Because what it would take me to divide from my wife would be stuff that would be misery. Okay? The problem was there used to be a whole load of judgment on people. The reason I'm saying this is because I want to use this as an illustration. Malachi says, for I hate divorce. God doesn't mix words. I hate divorce. I don't want people to come together to split up. Okay? Look at this. Unbelievers, 33% of their marriages end in divorce. We don't really hate divorce, do we? Now think about it. If we're honest in this country, at least in America, and again, please, let's be careful, because I have friends in the Philippines say, yeah, we don't have divorce. Yeah, I know. You got mistresses, and there's a big difference. You know, it's about the same thing. I mean, let's be honest, okay? Immorality is worldwide, Tiba. It's not located in one country or another. So whether you have annulment or divorce or just mistresses, it's still sin. And if you really hate it, right, you hate it. Okay, now... Let me give you my point. There is one clear reason in Scripture, okay, for divorce. Infidelity. If you have a spouse, and it really, if you look at it in, in Matthew, it's an it's a active um, verb 
okay? Which means habitual adulteration, okay? The person is being unfaithful habitually. You mean if they've done it once, it's okay? No, it's not okay. It's sin. But let me get to my point. This is one reason that you can put away your spouse, okay? This is covered in Deuteronomy. Why? Because if a guy was married to a woman and she was playing the harlot and he finally says, I can't take this anymore, if he didn't divorce her and then he shows up in the, in the tribe next week with a new woman, they could stone him. The bill of divorcement was to protect him. Now it also, folks, to be honest with you, was built by God to protect women. Why? Because when they didn't follow the Mosaic Code, men put women away for burning their toast. And the fact is, just what? I don't like you anymore. Why? Because you're getting older. Gravity's changed you. I like this young one over here. And the whole point of divorce was you just couldn't put someone out. You had to be legally responsible for what happened. That's what it was built for. It doesn't mean it was good. God didn't want it to be. But he knows the hardness of man's heart. And some people will not stick to their vows. But here's the problem. Let me show you the other reasons for divorce. Some of them are major reasons, but I still don't think they're for divorce. Listen. Communication breakdown. There's nothing worse living with someone that you can't talk to. Makes a marriage very difficult. Financial problems. Number two, number one reason for divorce in America. They think, okay, this is what stats say. I think the number one reason for divorce in America is spiritual problems. They just don't recognize that. But number two, or number one in their book is financial, and number two, sexual problems, okay? Emotional abuse. Physical abuse, that's horrendous. I, I have recommended women to leave their husbands, not, not divorce them. But you are not put on this earth to be a punching bag. And somebody physically abusing you, you need to either get them out of the house or you get out of the house and get some counseling to see if you can bring this marriage back together. I do not tell the woman, stay there and take it. I don't know where anybody got that idea. Physical incompatibility. You know what this one is? Well, he got fat. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Or, or, or gravity's affected the woman, right? She's got stretch marks. She's, you know, right? This is a reason for divorce. Loss of interest. Isn't that a great one? I'm just not interested in you anymore. Well, whoop-dee-doo. Let's get a divorce. What are you interested in? I'm interested in flying kites now. Okay, you know. <laughs> Go marry a kite, you know. Shift in priorities. What? I'm not, my priority is not to be married anymore. My priority is my career. I'll tell you one that happens. Parents, listen to me. Moms especially. My priority is my children. You make your priority your children over your husband, you'll lose your marriage. You know, I told my kids, because Satan used to try and get me and my wife separated with our kids. Our kids play against us. You know, they're not little antichrists, but they are sinners. <laughs> they are sinners. And they'll deliberately go ask dad, and when he says no, then they'll go, mom, can I do this? And she'll say yes, and then dad and mom are going at it. So I told my kids real early, every one of them, when they got old enough, listen, I didn't take vows with you. I took vows with her. If it's between you or her, you lose. I meant that. Now, it doesn't mean if, if she's wrong, but I'm talking about in normal life. If you're trying to get me to go against my wife and separate us, you lose. And then I always added Bill Cosby's point. You know, I made you, I can take you out and make another one like you. Just, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't really say that. And of course, this is a, this is another one, failed expectations. I married you and thought you were going to be successful. And you haven't been successful enough for me. So I want to get a divorce. And of course, this is also a terrible one. Drugs and alcohol addictions. Uh, I know several marriages from pornographic addictions that have broken up. Now, let me ask you something, okay? Because this is important. Because I'm against physical abuse. I realize that every one of these, except a few, most, the, the, the few, the, the uh, physical incab, 
incapability, the loss of interest, the shift in priorities, failed expectations, those, those are pretty selfish. Okay, but, but communication break, breakdown, financial problems, emotional abuse, physical, those are pretty, addiction, pretty serious stuff, Tiba. Right? Okay. On this list, which one of these can the Lord not change? That's right. Did you know that? Look at this list. There's only one problem here that God can't change. It's called infidelity. And guess what? He gave you an answer for that. It's called forgiveness. Now, if it's constant forgiveness, maybe there needs to be the threat of, you know what? No way. You cannot marry me and run around with five other people. It ain't going to happen. That's not our agreement. So I believe in being firm against infidelity. But what I'm saying is, bad things happen. And when they do, you need to first go to the Lord and say, what do you want me to do? And what I'm saying to you is everything on this list, except one, God can change. He can stop the guy from being physically abusive or verbal abusive. He can stop the wife from thinking, well, my husband's too ugly. I don't want to stay with him anymore. All that. God can change that. The only thing he can't change is when you've broken your vow to be faithful, you broke it but it can be forgiven. It can be forgiven. I know quite a few people that are still together and doing well. And yes, there's still that scar. Scars don't go away. Okay? So, I want to deal with this very clearly. We could put an umbrella on this. We could say across the board, God hates sin. Okay, that's good. God hates sin. So, we're going to hate sin because God hates sin. That's good. Here's my problem. It's like general confession. How much do you really grow if every day you say, Lord, forgive me for my sins in Jesus' name, amen. Lord, forgive me for my sins in Jesus' name, amen. You never grow. Why? What sins? When you start talking with an umbrella, forgive me for my sin, what, what are you talking about? Which ones? Because you need to be specific. Why? Because let's say you don't have a problem with lust, so you don't need to confess that. But let's say that you're greedy for money. See, if you don't identify what you're dealing with as a problem, you'll never be able to focus on how the Holy Spirit can help you. You understand? A am I making sense? Okay, good. I was really hoping I was. Now, why is the general approach no good? Let me give you why. There's two reasons. The reality of the issue, okay, and I know some believers that struggle with this, but I'm going to just tell you this in love. Too bad. If you want people around you to stop sinning, move to Mars. Because you're not going to find anybody that reaches perfection. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now I want to read this. I love the New Living Testament. Not the Living Bible. It's a good Bible, but it's paraphrase. So you don't study it. This is a translation. And I love the way the NLT puts this verse. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Why do I need to be specific? How do I see if I'm finally starting to see victory over a sin? It will never happen if my prayer is, Lord, forgive my sins. Lord, forgive my sins. I'll give you one that has for me. And I've not completely won. But folks, compared to 1994, when I'm in a traffic jam on South Suffer Highway now, I am not the same guy that I was in 1994. I'm screaming, what kind of idiots are these? Why can't these guys do what's wrong with you? I can't stand this. Why are we going to be so long? And my whole family had to suffer with that nonsense in the car. Now I listen to a book on my iPod. I put on music. I even learned to, when a jeepney driver almost cuts me off, I don't go, go there. I go, you're a jerk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I even say it nice. Oh, yeah. Hey, Bobo. Yeah. 
right? What I'm saying is, I have not arrived. You can ask my wife. I have not arrived. I still sometimes get so tense, but I'm so much better than I was in 1994, okay? So what I'm saying is, is that's how you have to tag these. And the sad part is, here's the sad part. You never run out of things to tag. Because when you finally have a victory here, the Spirit of God's going to show you another flaw. Why? Not to beat you up, not to pound you down, but to give you the opportunity to continue to go to Christ and let Him lead you to victory. Okay. So, here's the second reason it's really dangerous. If we pick and choose which sins we will hate, we will create a level of sin that is acceptable to us. Okay? Ladies, let me, let me give it this. Let's say you're married. Your husband always opens the door for you. He always uh, pulls your chair and lets you sit down. Not pulls your chair before you sit down. <laughs> he buys you flowers every Friday and comes home and gives them to you. So, pretty good husband, right? Here's the one problem. Whenever he talks to you, he calls you Bobo. Here's the door, Bobo. Let me get your chair, Bobo. Here's some flowers just for you, Bobo. How, how intimate you think you're going to be? Do you see what I'm saying? See, I, this is what I've learned about my life with God, and I've learned it through my wife, too. You can't have it all okay except for one and accept that as, well, come on, at least only I do this. Because whenever it's something that is offensive, it affects the intimacy. It affects the intimacy. That's why this guy wrote a great book, Respectable Sins. If you don't like to read, can I challenge you something? When I tell you I read a book, I really don't read it anymore. I have audible books because I'm an audible learner. I, I can actually memorize better when I listen. I listen to this book. It's a great book. Okay, it's a great book. And, and what he's talking about is the fact that everyone builds in their lives things that they think are not that bad. Well, at least I'm not like this guy, right? But they're not, but you know what? If they're wrong in God's eyes, he hates it. Not you, but he hates it. So we need to approach that. So here's what I'm going to do. Very practical now. We're going to move fast, okay? How does it work, okay? A better application for us instead of the general uh, confession is to be specific, so the Holy Spirit can help us root out whatever areas we need to focus on. There's a lot of scriptures on sin, so I can't go over them all. But I chose one because I thought it was just one of the best examples I could find to help you start thinking about where am I in my walk with God as far as the sin is concerned, and how do I deal with that? Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the sin, but here's the most important thing. I want to try and challenge you to the solution. And by doing this just today, real quick, hopefully I'll leave you an example of when I'm dealing with a sin that the Holy Spirit has brought to my mind, how do I approach it? And here's what I find. Usually when it's a sin, you need to look to the opposite direction. So if you hate someone, guess what you have to start doing? Love them. That's right. If you're embittered against someone, guess what you have to start doing? You have to forgive. That's the cure for bitterness, folks. You know what the healthiest thing for you to have uh, no bitterness and complete peace is a very short memory. Yeah, you need a short, don't be an elephant, okay? You know about elephant's memory, right? Okay, you don't. You probably don't, right, because that's probably something taught in America. I forgot. Have you ever seen a big elephant at a circus? And he's tied with a little rope to a small peg. Small little peg, and he stands there, can't move. Like that peg's going to stop him. You know what they do? When elephants are babies, real young, they chain their leg to a big tree. And that elephant just pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls. And finally, one day he goes, I can't ever get free. That's why we say memory like an elephant. Because even when they're this big, they remember they cannot pull free from the rope. A lot of human beings are elephants. 
they can tell you the date and the time that you did something wrong to them. And it could be 25 years ago. Get a short memory. That's what God wants all of us to have. So see what I'm talking about? I'm talking about being very practical. So let me show you the verse, and then we'll talk about them, okay? There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Now, I want you to notice this. The first five are individual weaknesses, okay? The last two deal with how we are with other people and how we affect others, okay? So, so what you want to do is let's look at each sin and then ask ourselves, what's the opposite? So let's start with this one. Haughty eyes, 1 Timothy. And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. What? God hates pride. That's what haughty eyes means. Pride. Listen to this verse. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Who's that talking about? He's talking about Lucifer, Satan. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. Now, if you're proud, if you're dealing, even if it's spiritual pride, you know, like one of the guys in the band, nobody plays as good as me. I'm so spiritual. I get up early and come practice. I work so hard. I'm really valuable to you, God. Now, I'm not saying any of those guys feel that way. But see, it could be even something good, like serving the Lord, and you become really proud about it, okay? What's the opposite of pride? Yeah. Matthew 18.4, whoever then humbles himself as this child... If you're a child and you're not noticed by adults, that's pretty normal, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Kids don't get most of the notice. So let me ask you this. Last time you were involved in something and when they got up to thank everybody that was involved and your name was left out, how did you feel? Because if you got really upset, I'm not saying you don't feel a little. I would feel a little like, well, you know, I was part of that group too. But then you let it go. Why? I'm just a child. I'm not expecting anything for me. See, there's an innocence. I know the children are sinners, but there's an innocence to how children respond to certain things. And Jesus says, you need to be like a child. What? You're not, you don't think you deserve something. You're not looking for applause. Let's look at the next one. Lying tongue. Amos. I hate, I reject your feast, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Now, these are churchgoers. Listen. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. These people were doing the whole church thing. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Now, this is a tough one. I've had to work on this real good for myself. What happens when you get into lying? What's the opposite of that? Truth's right, but I'm using a quality. Integrity. Integrity. What does this mean? You know, just go ahead and read this. I'll tell you the story. Because, I mean... God here talks about David based on his integrity. You got to learn to go deep, folks. I mean, it's hard. It's very hard. I remember as a pastor of a church in Roanoke, and I wasn't used to the size of the church, okay? It wasn't a CCF church. But for me, it was big. It's about 200 people. It was a big church. And I was the senior pastor, and I was trying to learn how to do everything on my own. Nobody ever taught me how to pastor, so I just kind of got dumped in that deep end of the pool. And... Um, there was a girl that used to bring all these homeless people to our church. Her name was Kyle. I loved her to death. And one week she came up to me. She said, Pastor, could you call the Fishers this week? I said, sure. Well, I forgot. 
You know, you get busy. I forgot. So on Sunday morning, I'm walking out of the, my office was right next to the church, and I'm walking out of the office, and there's Kyle. And I go, hey, Kyle. She goes, hi, Pastor. Did you, did you get a hold of the fishers? I said, no, you know, I called several times, but their phone was busy. I lied. Yeah, what, what harm does that have? Come on. Who do I hurt? Well, I preached that day on integrity. <laughs> I did. I preached that day on integrity. And my invitation was this. If you've done something that has got you in a wrong place with somebody because of deceitfulness or lies or anything, I want you to get up right now and go to them. I said, we're going to be quiet. It's not for anyone else to see. It's just for you to get things straight. And so I go to sit down and the Holy Spirit goes, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm trying to sit down, man. And I couldn't because he was nailing me. So I, I come straight off the platform. I walk straight down. Kyle sounds like that. And I walk over here. And I go, Kyle, come in. And she comes to me. And I get right in her ear. I said, I need to ask your forgiveness. She goes, what? I said, I, I lied to you. I was so embarrassed that I forgot to, fo to phone them. I said, call them, call them. And so I, I lied to you. I'm, can you forgive me? She starts crying. <laughs> I said, well, she said, oh, Pastor, I'm so glad you told me because the fishers don't have a phone. <laughs> <laughs> she meant make a physical call to their house. Do you realize what I would have done to that young lady's walk with God? I was her mentor. I was her shepherd. And she knew I bald-faced lied to her. See how good God is? Even when you sin. And by the way, now, if you tell me to do anything, I go, no. You write it down, and I'll do it. <laughs> I don't ever, seriously. Pastor, can you send me your material? No. What? You email me for my material, and I'll send it to you. Why? Because it's done work all the time. Okay. Integrity. Okay. Hands that shed blood or shed innocent blood. Murder. Okay. What's the opposite? I didn't bother putting a verse in because we know God's against. But here's what I want to get at. <clears throat> if you have a tendency to hurt people when they're down, that's the same thing. Okay. It's not physical murder. I know that. But it's, it's an attitude of just crunch them. I think the opposite, to learn how to be a person who's constantly pushing for mercy and protection of the innocent is to defend the defenseless. Listen to James. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You know, one of the greatest testimonies I heard one year of a friend of mine for Christmas, he and his family decided no presents for each other. And they pooled all their money together and gave it to a special orphanage just to help them. And see, that's, that's a real act of we're going to help those who we will get nothing. You know, folks, one of the things that bothers me is I see this in churches all over. Unless they get something directly back for what they do, they don't do it. Okay? And I mean even in the Philippines. I deal with this. There's a nature of what are we going to get back from what we're doing? If that's your attitude, you don't understand God at all. Because if you're working with orphans and you're loving them, God's going to bring people in you didn't even know where they came from. Why? Because God does not muzzle the ox while he grinds. In other words, when you're doing God's thing, he will bless your, your ministry. Maybe, you know, when we, used to, when we were in Makakila, we would go door to door inviting people to the church. Not one time did anybody come. All the leaflets we dropped off, nobody came from the neighborhoods that we dropped them off at. But every time we went out, we had visitors walk in off the street that Sunday. Well, how'd you hear about us? Well, we saw the sign out on the street. See, God does not muzzle the ox. When you're doing his work, so again, I don't think any of us here are murderers. But we need to promote an idea. There are some of us that are very unmerciful. Okay? I mean, when we see somebody do something wrong, we'd like to grind them. I know I have that tendency because my psychologically, I'm on the far side of, of, you know, doing what's right. And so if I see a guy run a red light, 
I don't wish a cop was there. I wish I was the cop, okay? That's where I'm at. And, and I had to learn, Nathan, what? You've got to ease off. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Heart that devises wicked plans. Okay? Now again, I could name some names of people that I know. They deny it, but when they're alone in their heart, they're thinking of evil things against people they call their brothers. They stir up trouble. That's going to be another one, but this one especially. It's, it's, it's not a matter of I'm going to go hurt someone else, but it's even I'm going to deliberately do what is wrong. Okay? Now notice, the opposite of that is what? Proactively good. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Proact you know, don't wait for someone to invite you to do something good. Be proactive. You know, just before I left the Philippines, my van got hit twice in the parking lot. Two separate weeks. Now, I've hit a person before, and you know what I leave? I leave a note with my phone number. Why? Because that's what God's talking about. See, you think you can get away with something. Guess what? You're devising wicked plans. Why? You did something that was wrong. You damaged somebody's property, but because nobody sees it, you can get away. That's not the way a Christian should live. Okay? So, try this. Next time you wake up tomorrow, say, how can I serve God today? How can I serve God today? We're almost done. Feet that run rapidly to, to evil. What does this mean? Feet that run rapidly to evil. Have you ever uh, been walking by and you hear people talking about some nice juicy gossip and your feet suddenly go back this way? That's what it's talking about. It's talking about people who move swiftly to get involved in things they shouldn't get involved in. Whether it be gossip or whatever. Okay? What's the opposite? The opposite. See, here's what I found. When you don't obey immediately, you really allow your feet to move in the wrong direction. Immediate obedience. Samuel said, has the Lord... Now remember, the situation was Saul got impatient. Okay? Well, not here. Saul didn't get impatient here. Saul didn't do the full command. Saul decided we will not sacrifice all of the animals that God told us to kill. We'll keep the best and give them to God. Now, I don't know. Some people think Saul was being so righteous, okay? He was told to go in, obliterate the Malachites, even their animals, and he comes back and he's got all these lambs and all that still alive. And Samuel says, what do I hear? And he says, well, we wanted to keep the best for the sacrifice of the Lord. Wait a minute. That's like me saying, you know what? Today I've decided I'm going to give $1,000 to God. Danny, get out your wallet. Yeah, right. Sit down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The point is, what good sacrifice is it if it's coming out of Danny's wallet? So what Saul was doing wasn't super spiritual. It was just a lie. And that's why Samuel said what he said. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Folks, if you come to this church every Sunday and make your D group every week, but you have an appointment with sin every Friday night, Do you think God's happy about that? Do you know what it's like? And I, again, I've been very transparent. Do you know what it's like years ago when I would struggle and get into pornography on a Saturday night and I got to preach the next day? Man, did I feel like a hypocrite. Why? Because Nate, you may be able to give a good message, but you're not obeying. One more example of forgiveness because this is a great one. The minute somebody hurts you, forgive them. Immediate obedience. What? Jesus said, as I have forgiven you. And by the way, he didn't wait till we confessed. And I don't know where Christians are getting this idea. I'll forgive you once you ask for forgiveness. Jesus didn't forgive that way. Now, but Nate, I don't feel it. Either do I. 
Here's the way forgiveness works. Nate hurts me. I kill him. Then I realize I shouldn't, so I forgive him. <laughs> a few hours later, I kill him again in my mind. By that night, I forgive him. Two days later, I see him, I kill him. Then I get convicted and I forgive him. Before long, you're only killing me once a week. Then it'll be once a month. See, here's what we do wrong. I will feel it and then take the action. And God says, no, you take the action and I'll let the emotions catch up. It's like love, folks. Love is a decision. It's great when it has feeling, but it's a decision. Forgiveness is a decision. Obedience is a decision. I'm amazed with some people how long they'll take before they finally realize they did something wrong. That's one thing I will say the Lord's done in my life. And it, 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 again, I struggle because I don't want it to become an excuse. But I do. The minute I realize I'm wrong, this is wrong. You've got to stop this. But I can't change what I did, but I can confess to God. Okay? And he's forgiving. Immediate. False witness who utters lies. Okay? What is the opposite? Justice. Why did I say no favoritism? This is a real problem in the churches. Okay, you're here, I hardly know you, and we find out that you went out and got drunk last week. And so we got to try and in love, con you know, confront you. But then I find out that Insong got drunk. And I go, that's just one time. I've seen leaders protect leaders. And that is favoritism. Okay. Now, again, you only confront with the desire to restore. That's the only reason you confront. You don't confront to vent your spleen and show somebody there's wrong. But my point is, when we start talking about false witnesses who utter lies, we always think of the, uh, the uh, obvious lie. But I'm saying there's other ways we lie. Oh, oh no, officer. I didn't know it was the coded day, right? When you're driving in the Philippines and you, you know your license is a no-no, but you go out and you say, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And the guy pulls you over. Oh, I, oh, today's Wednesday? I thought it was Tuesday, you know. <laughs> you know? Right? I thought it was color-coded, and I don't have a color on my car, so, you know. See, and, and the reason I picked no favoritism is that is a false lie. It really is. We make excuses for the people we care about, and we're ready to just trounce on people that we don't know. Okay, let me show you this. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. But the wisdom from above is first all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Lastly, one who spreads strife among brothers. You know, if I know something about Brother Insong that isn't the best, but it's not sin, it's just not the best, or if I had a, a time with him, is it really good that I share it with you? Well, you know what, what happened with me and uh, Insong was, you know what we do? We, we poison each other against each other. We really do. You know, you know what I've even learned? Unless there's a doctrinal issue. When people ask me about a certain church, if they're doctrinally sound, but I just don't happen to like, I just say, go check it out yourself. Why do I got to poison the pool before somebody gets involved? And this is a real problem with us human beings. Okay, so here's the point. What's the opposite of that? What, what can help with peace? In other words, I walk into a conversation saying, well, you know, I think this about Pastor Insung, blah, 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 blah. And I have a choice. I can either agree or I can say, you know what, though? What? No one can lead songs like Insung can. All of a sudden, I'm trying to bring some peace in. And guess what? The guy who made the last critical comment, he's probably going to be the one that gets looked at. Like, why? Because I've tried to turn it the right way. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What does that mean? If you've done everything you can and they still want a war, that's their problem. That means you've forgiven them. You're praying for good for them, okay? Don't forgive and then say, Lord, please help me forgive Nate, but just 
break them. Just you know, crush them. No, that's not. When I pray for a guy who's pridefully rebellious, you know what I pray? Lord, let them learn as easy as possible. Because I know how God can break someone. So here's what I want you to think about. Are there sins in your life you've accepted? What? Are there habitual sins? And now be careful. We're not talking about adultery and murder and rape and all these other big ones that nobody commits every week. How about uh, you're always tired because you're staying up till 3 a.m. every night watching TV or playing video? Did you know that's not good stewardship of time? It really isn't. You know, why don't you start getting into some of the more detailed areas of your life and ask yourself, is, is God happy with this? Do you hate what God hates or do you just hate some of what God hates? Does this mean you're going to succeed all the time? No. We all fail. But the, what I'm asking about is the heart attitude. Okay, that's why I asked the last one. If you were to ask God to enable you to hate something in your life right now, what would it be? And I mean a sin, not a person. <laughs> okay? If you could look at your life and say, I just... Because I don't know about you all, folks, but I love my sin. I don't know about you, but I do. That's why I give in to it. But whenever I ask God to help me start to hate it, that's when I really start to see victory. Because I go, you know what? The pleasure's one thing, but the consequences are so much worse. I don't want the pleasure. Because God can meet me, my needs in other ways than compromise and sin. Okay? So let's go ahead and pray. Father, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I just ask that you will work in our hearts right now to be as honest as possible. Lord, no one in this room is protected against the sin nature. We all have it. And we just need to allow the Spirit of God to empower us to see victory against that nature because he's promised to do that. Spirit of God, I just want to pray right now before whoever comes to close, closes. I just pray that you'll search our hearts right now. I know a lot of scriptures went out today, so I know you can work on our hearts in different ways. And I pray especially as we did not look at some of the big social sins that we Christians so easily can condemn, but instead we looked at more personal sins, sins that we all can struggle with, little lies, little gossips, things that we may not think are that bad, but you do. I pray that you'll help us to see them from your point of view. So Spirit of God, I just pray right now that you'd search our hearts for about 10 to 15 seconds before we close. Search us just now. God, we want to thank you for using Pastor Nathan to speak to our hearts this morning. But God, we know that all of this, Lord, will have no impact on our lives if you're not willing to obey. So will your Holy Spirit, Lord, just move in our hearts and in our midst this morning as we ask you, Lord, not only to show us the areas of our lives that we need to acknowledge, to be sinful, to desire, to go the opposite way. But more importantly, Lord God, that you give us the power and the grace to move our feet, our minds, our hearts, our eyes towards the opposite direction as we have been challenged this morning.
that we will be careful to give you back the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name.